Let's start with some tough love, all right? You two suck. Say my name. That's what the kids call Prissy guy with the mustache. You're listening to Inside the Gillivers, talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. Brought to you by the Royal Bobbles Collection at Bobbleheads.com. For all your favorite characters from the Gillivers, shop the Royal Bobbles Collection at Bobbleheads.com. Also brought to you by Rode Microphones, the official microphone supplier of Inside the Gillivers. See their entire lineup today at Rode.com. Now, please welcome your host, Eric Broadbent. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Season 2, Episode 12 of Inside the Gilliverse, where we talk all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. My name is Eric Broadbent, and it comes with great pleasure to introduce tonight's guest. You know him as Gus Fring from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, the incredible Giancarlo Esposito. Giancarlo, welcome to the Inside the Gilliverse. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here with you on the Gilliverse Universe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lots of things to talk about this evening, and uh, happy Good Friday to everybody uh, that celebrates as well, too. I hope everyone is uh, safe out there and has a wonderful weekend. And, uh, man, we have so much to talk about. We have people from joining us from all around the world this evening. As I was sharing with you off the air, um, from Ontario, Canada here, and we were talking about some of your visits over here. Doing the boys up in Toronto, that's got to be a lot of fun. Oh, terrific fun. Really love that city. Wasn't able to see too much of it this time around because of the lockdown it was undergoing, Mm -hmm. but certainly had a good time on the set. Love the creators of The Boys, all the writing, all the acting, and love that it's done in Canada as well. Yes. Yes, obviously, there's quite the differences between Albuquerque and uh, some cool... Well, when were you filming? What months were you filming in Toronto? I was there all of February. Okay. So I was under, you know, we had some thaw, you know, when we had some freeze, (laughs) and we had a lot of snow. Yeah, uh, and but my view from downtown Toronto was overlooking a park, so it was nice to see the all the people. My my hot my pastime was watching folks walk their dogs in Victoria Park. Okay, <laughs> I imagine you've had some some uh, quite a few visits, like for the Toronto International Film Festival and things of that nature. Have you been here for that before? Or I sure have. I've been up for that, and uh, I had a film that I made uh, way back when in two thousand and seven, um, which I am very proud of. I've made two now. Uh, but it was um, it was wonderful to be there in Toronto, uh, having it at uh, one of the venues of the Toronto Film Festival. So, you know, re- really, really kind of fun uh, to do. Uh, my last movie um, was also shown there, uh, which uh, I'm very, very proud of as well, called The Show with uh, Josh Duhamel. Uh, my first film was called Gospel Hill. So I've had an experience with Toronto and you know, I love the people there and I love that, you know, the Canadians are such filmophiles. Uh, there's no place I can go there without someone recognizing me from something. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. And the film festival is respected around the world, too. I've never been to it. I've been to some other film festivals down there, but not the, the main the main event. But, yeah, it's respected all around the world. It sure is. I mean, I think the programming for the film festival is really wonderful because they show a diverse group of films that can relate to many, many, many people. And so I've enjoyed my trips to Toronto over the years. Back in 1976, 75, maybe even earlier than that, I, I performed um, at then was the uh, O'Keefe Center. Okay. He's now the Hummingbird. And I did a Broadway show there uh, called uh, Lost in the Stars. Uh, and uh, ran into Josephine Baker Baker in the lobby with my mother. Uh, so Toronto's always been a creative stop on on my list of places to go and work for over the years, and it's uh, certainly been a pleasure always to revisit. Nice, and you will be doing that. You uh, can you share with us a little bit of the boys' upcoming? Is you can talk about that a little bit. 
we're going to the boys season three and it's uh, a very powerful season uh which it normally reflects uh, the show reflects so much of what i believe has become uh politically sort of a contemporary theme uh in our world in regard to power and money but what i do love the most is that we have people who are have superpowers but human emotions mm -hmm. and for me it's very important to play on that because the folks in our world who have superpowers also i'll say the canadians are very politically correct they understand and, and and know what's happening in america so we have people in our world where that superpower is that they have power period <laughs> so, yes. so it's, it's great to be addressed in the show in the light-hearted yet serious manner that it's addressed in the boys and the storylines couldn't be better obviously stemming from a comic strip uh but also um very real in the potent message that it delivers Exactly. Well, we'll look forward to um, maybe you know getting back down here again. We'll look forward to season three. It's going to be fantastic. But obviously tonight we'll be talking a lot of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, especially with the bittersweet season six upon us. Uh, you know, next year probably before we'll see it on our on our televisions. But we have some uh, many stories to be told to wrap uh, a lot of arcs up and whatnot. Before we get into some great questions from our audience coming in here, I've got a fun one. I always wrote it down as a note just to make sure I ask. This is something that our friend Tom Schnauz we were talking about, uh, whom we were talking about off the air. He came up with this thing with this magical place called the Gilliverse. There is a smell in the Gilliverse. Okay, now, uh, and I'm going to ask you. It's a two word. It's a two part thing. So it smells like this and this. And there is a correct answer, but we always ask each guest, or we try to, what they envision it would smell like in the Gilliverse. So let's picture you and I. We hop in this little rocket ship. We fly off into the Gilliverse, and we get there. And there's a smell. What would what would you or what would Gus think it smells like in the Gilliverse? Oh, I think it's. Uh I think it's a flower. I think it's part flower and uh, also part um, shoes that Thomas Schnauz has just taken off his feet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, the flower I could, I could handle because uh, my better half, Sandra Lee, has a green thumb and she has the nicest plants, exotic plants. So a nice flower would be very nice. Tom Schnauz uh, shoes, I don't think I would want to smell. And uh, you may have on set. I don't know. I don't want to be around that. But the... <laughs> The correct answer is bacon and fear. Bacon and fear. Yes. Wow, I do love it. Mm -hmm. Wow, did I hear somewhere that the bacon sales have gone up uh, from folks who've been watching Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul? Bacon and fear. Well, you know, those two combinations are pretty terrific because if you're eating a lot of bacon, you might fear the nitrate that's in it. So, or if you really love bacon, you're going to say, screw the nitrates, I'm eating it anyway. Exactly. But, uh, th that's a great smell. That is a great smell inside the Gilliverse universe of Saul. Wow. Mm -hmm. We had some good food answers. I mean, Danny and Louis Moncada were, uh, were on the show a couple times, and they were talking about some nice Mexican cuisine. We've had gun smoke. We've had, uh, oh, man, uh, my, my better half, Sandra's had some good answers as well, too. There's there's some crazy, crazy answers. I, I originally thought Coca-Bola would, you know, like Jimmy's desk. He wanted this Coca-Bola wood desk. I thought that would smell exotic. So, And Vince Gilligan got bacon. I forget what his other answer was, but he got bacon, so at least he was in tune a little bit with it. But Love it. Yeah, we're going to jump over to some uh, some member questions. We've got a super chat here from Brandon Lee. It says, question for Gustavo. Fring, the myth, the man, the legend, what was your most rewarding scene, scene you acted out while on Breaking Bad? You know, it's like picking a favorite child, but do you have a, a scene that was very special to you? Yeah, it is a picking a favorite child, and it's always difficult. Uh, but I would say 401 box cover. Oh, yes. Uh, for many reasons, it's one of my favorite scenes. Uh, I love it because it's so descriptive in its manner. And so few words mm -hmm. until the very end of the scene. I think it was nine and a half minutes. 
that the scene went on before anything was said at all. So I'm a big fan of Harold Pinter. Uh, Pinter and his plays had what was described as Pinter pauses. And I'm a theater actor that comes from the stage. And Harold Pinter, I was able to see him perform in London uh, many years before he passed away and really loved the idea of Pinter pauses. So it taught me to leave space. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's what I love about 401, having to see what Guz does that is so reprehensible that you've never seen before until that episode, but leaving the space for it to unfold and for you as an audience to be able to want to or feel like you're on the edge of your seat and you don't know what's going to happen, even though you think you may. Yeah. And what happened is so horrific. Um, the other part of the scene I love a lot is that it's witnessed. So, so many times when we're acting, um, we're in an interaction with another actor, but when in 401, it is witnessed by Jesse and Walt. And so to be able to see that witness on their face and what it does to them inside for Gus, it was sending a message being witnessed, but so definitive in that Gustavo Frank character that you're actually shocked that he actually did this himself. So that's one of my favorite episodes ever. We had Jeremiah Batsui on the show too. We talked a little bit about that episode and uh, th- that is shocking too. And was there, were there a lot of takes? Cause you'd see, you'd see Brian Cranston and Aaron and even, even Jonathan Banks, you know, they, I mean, I know obviously it's in the script and they've probably some good rehearsal, but they were really shocked too. Were there multiple takes on that or how did, how did it come off so believable? Well, there, there were multiple takes. And uh, I remember it was the first episode of the season, obviously 401 and uh, coming back into a show with crew members who had been away and all of this. And uh, I, I think that there were, I had a way of rehearsing that may have put me in a position that were, was a little bit lighter than when I actually dived in because I sort of talked through where I had to go with the beats uh, of it. But there were challenges. And the challenges were that, you know, the eventuality of it was that I'd be standing in a pool of blood and I needed to have um, uh, footing. I needed to have some compass uh, on the ground. And so there was a big issue about the size of the boots that they got me. They were too big. They were rubber boots, greatest catch kind of outfit, all of it I love. And uh, I said, okay, I'm swimming in the shoe and then swimming in the blood, or I will be. I had anticipated that. So I noticed, and if you notice in the scene when you're watching it, uh, behind Aaron and um, and, uh, 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 Walter White, you see a clothing rack and there are a lot of suits and a bunch of boots. So I looked over at the clothing rack and I, I saw, oh, you know, a pair of boots that were a size 10 okay. that would fit me. And the new customer said, oh, no, 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 no. Those are Brian's boots. I said, well, he's not wearing them in the scene, yeah. but those are his boots. And I went, huh, okay, I need to have you know, real connection to the ground. That's how I am. So I, I left the set and I went over in a corner and everyone was like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I went, stay away. You know, they didn't realize I'm not pissed about the boots or anything else. I'm more concerned with where my head is at and how to deliver this in a gust spring fashion. So I use a breathing technique of yoga to settle me down and make me calm. And I didn't talk to anybody. Stayed in the corner, didn't talk to anybody and didn't know what they were doing about the boots because they denied me Brian's boots. And I said, well, you know what? Screw him. I'm a Gustavo friend. I can do whatever <laughs> I want. Just go get his boots. At that moment in time, I'm moving over to the boots and people wonder what he's doing. And the costumer sent a PA back into the room with the proper size boot. She had jumped 
in her car. Actually, it was one of the one of the wardrobe people, not the head costumer at that time. She drove down to Albuquerque from the, from the set, which is near the airport, and found the right size boots and came and gave it to me. And from there on, everything went smoothly because I had purchase. I needed to have purchase. So after that, I used all of that to allow me and my persona to become really dead, really painfully evil, and wanting and wishing to inflict pain. Now, there was something else going on. Uh, you said you had Jeremiah Basui on the show, and mm -hmm. I really love Jeremiah, and I love Victor. And I wanted to display a couple of different things, so I did some alternate takes, which I know they didn't use, that had some vulnerability and sorrow for Victor. Because, see, Victor made a mistake, mm -hmm. and his mistake was a big one, and I could not let it go by. But I wanted to display that I, I didn't want to do it. I really cared for Victor. Uh, I know they went with the more nefarious takes, but at least Jeremiah felt, felt my love for him. Physically, it was an interesting move because physically, if you look at the, at the way the, the scene is filmed, I'm in front of him and he's a little bit behind me by a step. And I go and I look in the cabinet, I find what I'm looking for, no expression at all. And I turn and look at Walt and Jesse. Uh, and then I'm in front of them, speak, you know, not saying any words at all, just looking at them uh, and defiantly in the Gustavo Fring understated way. And then I had to take a huge step backwards to get around Jeremiah's body, get his um, neck in my arm, and then, of course, slit his throat. So it had to be like a dance and all very seamless. And I also didn't want to hurt him. So uh, it worked out beautifully. And I'm, I'm just so very proud of that scene because of all of the elements that came together while we were shooting it. Yeah, it, it was it was a memorable, memorable scene for sure. And something too, like you always feel like you know where something's gonna go and that did not feel that way whatsoever. And I think a lot of a lot of people watched that one back and almost had to process it a second or a third time, or those of us that binge watched the show, we watched it multiple times. But here's some other great questions coming in as well, too. This is from uh, from uh, our Eamon, his wife. Eamon's one of our friends and moderators. Uh, his better half, Louise, is asking, what character would you have liked to have killed off uh, or have, have Gus to kill off if it hadn't been Walt? If a Walt wasn't the option, was there another character you would have uh, liked to have taken off the, uh, the, off the planet? Well, you know... Uh Certainly, I do think about that, and obviously, you must be talking about Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm, yep. Uh, and so, at that period of time, you know, I thought maybe it would be lovely to take the cousins out. Yep. Uh, I knew that uh, Jesse I happened to like, but also, regrettably, I felt like Walt was making a huge mistake partnering with Jesse. So, he would have been probably one of the first on my list because, and I know earlier on, he was slated not to be around anyway. And so I thought, okay, this could teach Walt a huge lesson. Uh, and then I have other choices for Better Call Saul, but you were asking about Breaking Bad, mm -hmm. so it's all good. <laughs> awesome. A question from uh, Lisa Love. She says, as a comment slash question, uh, I've never looked at your character as a bad guy because I felt that you did, you did what you had to do to survive and built yourself a legitimate way to make it in the drug cartel world. However, when you figured out what Nacho did to Don Hector and decided to make him your spy, I never understood why Gus had so much hatred for him. Was it because he wanted him to be the only one in control of Don Hector's death? It seems so much more than that. Thank you so much. And it's an honor to have you on the show, she says. Oh, what a pleasure uh, uh, and what a great question because that would have been my next choice for who I'd like to kill in Better Call Saul. It would be Nacho. And the reasoning behind, and certainly when I read that episode, I thought, why is he protecting Nacho and making him his spy? Because he had a, a larger uh, agenda. 
mm-hmm. uh, in terms of using Nacho, uh, but I w- would have loved to kill him right there. Uh, I think what incensed Gus was that Nacho um, tried to take Hector out himself. And of course, that would have deprived Gustavo Fring of his revenge. And so all that fit seamlessly within my thinking. Uh, but if I could have killed Nacho, then I would have, mm-hmm. because he went against what I uh, was suggesting and what I thought very, very uh, sort of, you, it's a mystery some, in a way that Gus realizes exactly what, what game Nacho was playing. So to put him in purgatory and then in hell, I think was the proper choice. What, very well said. Very well said. Now, here's a question, a little uh, left field here. We're going to go into some Mandalorian just for a second. This is from Zoko. Uh, from Zoko says, I know you can't reveal too much on season three of The Mandalorian, but will we get an explanation on how Moff got the Darksaber or will it never come back to that? Is there anything you can touch well, base on that? Well, certainly, uh, I love Mandalorian and, and a favorite show of mine uh, in a beautiful recreation of the classic Star Wars that harkens back to the original Star Wars movie that contains so much mythology and as such a reference to Joe Campbell and George Lucas's fascination with the hero's journey. So I'll say that. Uh, uh, yes, I, I believe you will start to get at clues as to how uh, Moff Gideon got the Darksaber. And I think a few have been laid already. If you go back and watch closely, you might be able to figure that out. Uh, but I have no nothing I can tell you that I know mm-hmm. that's going to happen in season three as of yet. Okay, no problem. Well, thank you for sharing that with us for sure. I love the show as well, too. Uh, here is a uh, super chat question from Ragava. Uh, Ragava says, huge fan. I am an animator and I used to direct motion capture. You've recently acted in Far Cry 6. How was the experience acting for motion capture? I hope I get to work with you one day and also uh, get your autograph on my sketches. He's done. I'm going to share with your, your social teams and your management as well, too. Ragava does some amazing pencil sketches. I'll send them later on. To, over the weekend, I'll send them to you. Anyways, you've got to see these. Uh, the, they're of you. They're amazing. Um, but anyways, yeah. So his question again was, um, you acting in Far Cry 6. How was the experience acting for motion capture? Uh, what was that like? Well, uh, firstly, Ragab, I'll tell you that I, I have heard so much about you and can't wait to see your work and would be blessed and honored if you were able to or inspired to do uh, a piece on on me. It would be wonderful because I think you in your own right has such a very a clear connection to artistry. And that's what I, I do. Um, so to talk about a little about Bar Cry 6 um, and how it was to work in motion capture, I'm sure we'll be working together one day as I love it. Uh, it's very reminiscent to theater. And in Far Cry 6, I went to Canada. That was my other experience uh, in Toronto was being able to be on in a big, you know, motion capture room uh, to play Anton Castillo. And so to be able to do that, there were a couple of things I had to adjust to. And, and that was to be in a very tight spandex suit and have a helmet on with a camera that's staring me right in the face with a light that's blinding me, um, having to move around that equipment to connect with my scene partner or partners during that period of time. But what I loved about it was it was like the rehearsal of a play uh, because you get in a room with nothing and you have some wooden furniture and things that are earmarked as green screen and you have to smoke a cigar, but you can't really light it. You got to light it here. (laughs) You know, all these things that technically you have to get around. And what I came to eventually was just be yourself, be the character and connect. That's Mm -hmm. the most important thing. And so for me, I learned a new skill and I learned it well. 
on Far Cry 6 as I went up to do a commercial and to actually shoot the piece itself. I had some experience in this kind of volume uh, effort and room early on doing a failed film with uh, Wes Ball called Mouse Guard. I did about a week on that, rehearsing and getting him uh, up on, on camera. And eventually, through the change of studios, they dropped the project, sadly. But that was my first experience. Then Far Cry, uh, and in between that and Far Cry, I did Mandalorian, which is another volume room that's much larger. So I got a sense of how to do it. But back to, but I had a costume, which is a different thing. Mandalorian had a beautiful costume, cape to throw around, and of course, ultimately holding the dark saber, which there were more than one of them, some long, some short. So I had to get used to how to, how to use those. But in Far Cry, I really cut my teeth mm-hmm. on hearkening back to my theater background, connecting with people, yet being able to really work the technology of the volume and respect that for what it was. You're going to love this. Far Cry is way ahead of its time in in terms of its first shooter and all of the elements that go into it that the audience can take the journey and be a character within themselves is is really the next level of, of this video game. Michael Mando, obviously from the Guildverse as well, having a part in that uh, in that realm as well. Well, your colleague and friend. Yes, indeed. Yeah, he did five and had a really great experience. And, uh, and 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 some rumors that are going around online, there was questions whether you know he really is Anton Castillo's son. So I love how people sort of play into it what they need to. Yeah, but he was wonderful in that arena as well. Fantastic. We have another super chat question that I'm going to jump over to a section that we have on the show where people send in uh, from our members on our channel. They send in voicemail. So we're going to play some audio questions for you as well, too. Uh, so this is from Rocket. Rocket says, was there a specific moment in, in Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad script where you were absolutely blown away by the text? And we talked about the writing staff. Phenomenal. And the men and women are just geniuses. But was there something in that script that just blew you away before you even got to rehearse and or commit to uh, to film? Well, you know, there's there's so many moments that really um, really play in my consciousness, but I do love uh, filmically uh, the scenes of Walt and I in the desert. You know, where we get Walt, I get Walt and bring him to the desert and have a hoodie on him so he can't see. You know, I will kill your wife, I will kill your son, I will kill your your infant daughter. Mm-hmm. This to me was just the right amount of words uh, in trying to get and cultivate the connection that I wanted Walt to do what I wanted him to do. Uh, filmically also, if you look at that particular scene, it's a it's a very wide shot and it's played in the wide until the moment I snatched the hood off of Walt's head. And what you see uh, just before I start to say those lines, before I snatch the hood, is the sky in the background. It's a beautiful sunny day and you see some clouds, but as I'm saying those la- lines, a cloud obstructs the sun for all of those lines and then goes away. <laughs> and I thought, you know, in my conversation with Ben Stilkin, I said, well, how did you do that? And he said, oh, I don't know, it just happened. <laughs> I said, Vince, how did you do that? And, 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 and it did just happen. There were things that they used to enhance that moment because when Vince realized that his mouth dropped as well. So that dialogue to me uh, was some of the best ever uh, in that it was simple and direct and straightforward. I could think of five more moments out of Breaking Bad that really impressed me dialogue wise uh, as I honor these writers so very much. We move on to Better Call Saul and Gustavo Fring, the most he's probably ever said at one time is a, is a whole monologue about the Kalati, which I also 
really love because you get an insight into Gustavo's background and he, how he grew up and the poverty of that and his fierceness in capturing this Kuwate and then keeping him captured and torturing him in a ways that Gustavo Fring does. Uh, this was also just a very insightful and beautiful speech as well. Fantastic. And the details that Vince pulls out of, I, it seems like an imaginary place. I, and actually we had, uh, we had Mark Margolis on the show, uh, our last guest of 2020. And he was telling us about the face off episode and the details that Vince goes through, you know, was, there was a, there was a moment, you know, where he was adjusting curtains. Vince was adjusting literally the curtains on the set of the, uh, of the retirement uh, room. Right. And Mark had said something to Vince, he goes, Vince, like if this whole scene comes down to the, the position of those curtains, then I think we're screwed. And Vince is like, it's all in the details, Mark. Yes, it is, because we never knew how Walter White may have gotten into that room. And so Vince was very, very obsessed with and focused on the window mm -hmm. um, because that's an important entry or exit place. That's a possibility that existed. Uh, that scene to me was really pretty fantastic. And then uh, following that, being out in the hallway in which we shot that particular face-off moment explosion 21 times. Wow. Um, so that's a lot of takes to do. And we came out into the hallway, and, of course, people are rushing toward Gus as he's straightening his tie, which is another great story behind that uh, as well that Vince and I had decided upon. I'm so honored that, that Vince is so inclusive and so humble in his ideas that he shared with me as to how my demise would be within that. But coming out in the hallway, there, there were, he had a nurse and a couple of nurses coming up to, to Gustavo and, 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 and they were, you know, they were okay, but it didn't translate. The performance didn't translate from 10, from, from 20 feet away to them coming right up to me. And so, you know, Vince is scratching his head and scratching his head because he wanted to arc around and have, you know, uh, the face off be a reveal and so he looked at me, he said, you know, hey, you know, you're a director. What will you do? <laughs> nice. And I said, Vince, I said, okay. Uh, and I quickly got over being so astounded and honored that he would ask. I said, well, you're going to ask this question of me as an actor. Because as an actor, what I would do is I would have them not get to me. Ever. Okay. And he went, whoa. So then as you arc around, you see them, you get their expression you know, whatever they're saying to each other, but they're not so close to me and it'll play. And he went, oh, thank you so much. I said, yeah, you're quite welcome. That's just my feeling. If you want to use it, use it. Uh, Vince is such a team player and so affable and working with him now. And, you know, episode 602 of Better Call Saul just reminds me of how wonderful a director and human being he is. Yeah, it's, it was a fantastic. And that, the, thank you for sharing that moment as well, too, because that added a lot to it, you know, because if they would have got to to Gus and, you know, held him, you know, from collapsing or whatever the case may be, I think it would have taken away the much of the shock. Yeah, I really felt uh, I felt it before he even asked it uh, because they were coming right up on me and having expressions. And he didn't want to say that it didn't work, that mm -hmm. it wasn't their acting. There was just something wrong. And I said, they never get to me. Yeah. You know, they've got to just be so stunned. And what you may see in their eyes and what the audience hasn't yet witnessed is that Gus has half his face off and just let me fall uh, out of camera and we'll, we'll call it a day. And it worked beautifully. It did. 
Before we jump over to the next uh, Super Chat question, something I meant to say here, the audience can probably see this really cool Gus bobblehead figure I have on my desk here. We're doing something special tonight with our good friends and show sponsors at bobbleheads.com, Royal Bobbles, whom you've met, I guess, you've met Warren and Rachel. I think it was the San Diego Comic-Con. They mentioned they had about 30 minutes with you and they sent you some of these figures as well too. We're giving away four of them tonight. So they're from bobbleheads.com. We've got the Gus Fring figure with the curly fries, which is in the back. They're really, really nice little diorama. All you have to do tonight- Eric, to- I don't have that one, so I want it. Okay, okay we'll, get you, we'll get you some. I don't have that. Okay, we'll, we'll, I'll talk to Warren. We'll get you some for sure. But here's how you can win- we're going to be giving away four of them. So when this video is done this evening, go down below in the comment section once, if you could, please, uh, everyone that's watching, and just uh, maybe make a comment like, what's your favorite uh, scene with Gus and why? And next week we'll draw, for next week's show, we'll draw four random winners. I'll provide that to Bobbleheads, and they'll ship out four of these really cool figures to you, four lucky winners. So but tonight after the show, just comment what's your favorite Gus Fring scene and why, and we'll pick four random winners. We're going to jump over to uh, a Super Chat question from Erie Afro. Uh, Mr. Esposito, did the producers tell you about, and I, I want to be very delicate with this question because my better half, Sandra Lee, is right about this point in the show right now with me watching uh, A Better Call Saul. Did the producers tell you about the Frings back anagram and the first letters of season two titles before fans noticed? You're an incredible talent and inspiration for black actors. Cheers. Well, thank you very much. I so appreciate your comments and following my career and uh, with enthusiasm and passion. Uh, and the answer is no. Uh, I, I, you know, these guys don't tell us much of anything. And it certainly was quite a surprise that, that uh, it caught on so quickly. I remember Peter Cool calling me and saying, I can't believe we have such smart fans. I do right away. Yeah. Brings back. Uh, and I kind of love that they try to hide all of that and that they allow uh, our audience to figure it out. So it was something that was figured out quickly, but no, I wasn't told of it. And if I was, it would have had to be, be an incredible secret. Yeah. I just thought it was brilliant that they did, did it in the way that they did. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they, there are some really amazing fans out there. Like I'm a fan of Walking Dead. And I remember when, you know, the, the scene where Negan comes in, you know, he's going to, you know, he has a baseball bat and he takes some people out. People were reversing camera angles and they're trying to, it's almost like they're looking at an assassination of a, of a, of a president or something. And they're trying to analyze who it was and who did it. It's pretty amazing what they can come up with. Truly is. Uh, but that's the artistry and having the artistry to be able to deliver, but then to also be light enough to have some fun and to enter a world uh, where they have the opportunity uh, to really delicately, delicately uh, drop those Easter eggs and, and allow the fans to try to just figure it out. Agreed. And John Carlo, we lo- we your video froze a tiny bit on your end. If you can still, Eric, I think I think you froze or I froze. So. Okay, oh, here we are. Yeah, there we're, we're back. We're got you. Perfect. Yeah, just a just a quick blip on the radar there. Okay, so we're going to jump over to the audio question portion. Uh, the first one I've got here queued up is from Andrea Noak. She's from Germany. So we'll hear his her here is her question for you. Hello, Mr. Esposito. My name is Andrea, and I would like to know how you felt or what you thought when you first read the script of the Breaking Bad episode Face Off. Nice to have you here today. And by the way, I'm looking forward to September when I finally fly to Albuquerque to see the beautiful home of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Thank you and dear greetings from Germany. So from Germany, Andrea, she's asking about uh, your first uh, time reading the script and what you thought for, for Face Off. Hi, Andrea. Thank you for your very insightful and wonderful question. Uh, love your country of Germany and so glad you're going to come from very far away to see our shooting home of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, I loved uh, the episode of Face Off. Certainly, I had had some time to speak to Vince 
prior to that particular episode and in his office and he kept getting up to go and close the door and I kept dropping right into Gus. No, 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 don't close the door. <laughs> told you, do not close the door. Anyway, <laughs> went back and sat down and I asked him if he'd seen my film because I wanted to direct and no, I didn't watch it. And he got up again. I said, I told you, don't close the door. And then the third time it happened, he started to get really nervous. I could see the beads of sweat beating up on his head. And I said, Vince, I told you, do not close the door. And then I laughed. I said, I'll close the door. And I did. So he discussed and asked me and wanted to include me, how would it happen? You know, what do you think he would be doing at that moment? And I said, well, he can't be shot. He's a made man. We've already seen that uh, prior. He walks into bullets and that's not going to happen. I said, so, and he said, well, what if it were? And I said, oh, well, you know, that, that could work. What would he be doing? And I said, well, you know, if you notice me, uh, when I'm playing the role, I always straighten my tie or the mm -hmm. jacket gets buttoned or unbuttoned. So he used that, which I was very, very pleased about. Of course, the end of the scene was blacked out, so none of the other actors could even see it in their script. But what I love is the filmic way in which he takes me in to actors, to which he takes me into the nursing home. I was really blown away because all of a sudden, it looks in a way, it slows down and it looks like the good, the bad, the ugly. And it looks just like you see Gus in the car and get out and take the walk. And it's all very reflective and, 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 and heated up from the outside to the inside. So I, I, I was really amazed and I thought, because my biggest concern was that we would venture off into sci-fi dome. And I said, that's my only concern. We got to believe it. We got to believe it. Whatever happens, we got to believe it. And uh, a seamless, beautiful scene, well executed, but beautifully written. I was very excited to go out that way. It was. It was almost comfortable and uncomfortable at the same time. It was a very uneasy feeling. And the music, uh, obviously, with the great, uh, you know, with Dave Porter's team and uh, uh, Thomas Golubich with uh, music, Super Music Vision, the music supervisor is just, just absolutely amazing. Everything that works hand in hand for the, the, uh, the, the just the, the, the synergy between everything. Well, I must say that Dave Porter's a master. Uh, I, I absolutely love what he does in regard to his choices but also in regard to the modulation in this scene, you're talking about what happened in the scene. The music is modulated to such a wonderful level that's palpable. It gives you a feeling of comfortableness, but also of great uncomfortableness. Mm -hmm. And so those things working together make you feel uneasy. And Dave Porter is a master of scoring this particular show. He sure is. He sure is. Our next audio question is from Jennifer Stevens. And here is that question from her. Hi, John Carlo. My name is Jen. My question is, when comparing Gustavo Fring and Stan Edgar, many would say there are a lot of similarities, at least on a surface level. As an actor, how do you approach characters who may appear similar externally, but are driven and operate very differently internally? Thanks a lot. Thank you, Jen. What a great question. I always look at a character that I play, even if they seem similar on paper, and I could go that route as being very, very different. And what I love about Stan Edgar is he's a company man. He's cold, totally talking about the company, uh, very, in a way, dispassionate in some ways. And I feel like, yes, he's a man who's in control. Uh, yes, for a period of time, as you will look at the boys, you'll see that, how that plays out in season three. But a man who is cut and dried, and, uh, but yet very, very corporate, all about money, 
uh, specifically and especially explaining where Vaught International comes from and who the the uh, the the creator of Vaught really was. And he gives this whole speech to Homelander really just clearly it's about business. And that's what I really felt was a guiding place for me in, in regard to playing Stan Edgar. He's also a guy with a little bit more heart than Gustavo Fring uh, because he hasn't yet taken the, the bull by the horns in a way that Gustavo has uh, really done his own damage. And so I, I look at them differently in this way. Stan Edward, Edgar is ultimately uh, a chess player playing all ends against the middle. Uh, Gustavo has already won the game. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so that's the difference for me. We'll look forward to seeing more Stan in season three as well, too. I can't wait. Uh, another audio question from Kathy Latis. Here is the question from Kathy. Hi, Giancarlo. This is Kathy. You have such a great vibe and attitude toward things, keeping so positive and upbeat. On days that I may be stressed out or anxious, what uplifting message could you give me to help me get out of that funk? And when I need to, I'll just rewatch this. Thank you so much, and Happy Easter. Hi, Kathy. Happy Easter. Uh, what an interesting question. Believe in yourself. Look in the mirror and say, I love you, Giancarlo. Look in the mirror and say, I love you, Kathy. Believe in yourself. What you do today determines your tomorrow, no matter how small, no matter how big. It lends to you having the ability to fulfill your earthly obligation. Ask the question, what am I here for? How, how will I extend myself creatively and how can I be in service to other human beings? When you're in service, you don't focus on what you may depressed or be depressed or down about. You focus on what good you can be as a part of this humanity that we're all connected to. You're here for a reason. I'm here to tell you that. Fulfill that reason. Fill yourself up. Love yourself and practice that daily. Be kind to yourself and all is well. Give yourself a hug. Hey, there you go. Very wise words. So, Kathy, you can replay this for sure. And I actually, this morning, this, just this morning, I actually looked into the mirror and said, I love you, Giancarlo, <laughs> for coming on my show. So, thank you. A little bit of a play on your answer there. But, yes, we're very grateful to have you on the show. And thank you for those wise words and uplifting words, too. This is an audio question from Josh Gordon. Uh, here is hit Josh's question. Hey, Giancarlo. Wondering if you can settle an argument with me. Now, I believe in Breaking Bad that your character, Gus, never intended to kill Walter until he crossed him by running over the drug dealers to save Jesse. Other people who I get into a discussion with about Breaking Bad saying that Gus intended to kill Walter all along if his cancer didn't get to him first and just have Gale be his cook. You played Gus. When you played him... Do you intended to kill Walter all along? Thanks. Good question from Josh. Well, hey, Josh, thank you so much. And um, I'm hoping I can clear up your misunderstanding or the ideas behind Gus's intention uh, in Breaking Bad. Uh, I never uh, intended to kill Walter. Uh, I felt when I offered Walter very early on, you know, $3 million for his time working for me, I wanted to honor that agreement. Uh, my only problem with Walter was that he did business with a drug addict. You do not do that. Uh, the other problem that arose was uh, that, you know, Gail 
was taken out. A big, huge mistake that involved Victor. Uh, I think Walter was a master cook, and I certainly had my respect for him. Uh, and because he was also ill, uh, I felt like he deserved the opportunity. So in my mind, and I could be wrong, you could ask Vince Gilligan, it wasn't my intention to see Walter suffer or to kill him. I wanted him to comply. And if he had complied, he would have had all the money and been able to get out with his life. Fantastic. Well, thank you for clarifying that as well, too. My son, Eric Jr. is jumping in. Rod Bent, he's jumping here. He is a major fan of you, and he's binge-watching Breaking Bad right now. He's, I think they've just finished up uh, Breaking Bad with his girlfriend, so he's loving your character, obviously always has. And him and his mom and I are, uh, well, actually his mom and I are watching Better Call Saul now, binge-watching that. So it's nice to know some of these things for sure. A next audio question coming in is from Lori, and uh, Lori has some deep-dive questions a lot of times, and this is one you're probably not expecting. Here is her question. Hello, Giancarlo. My name is Lori. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Gilliverse. Goodness gracious, you are such a fine actor and might I add, handsome as well. Could you please tell us about your time as a school bus driver? I hope that you find my question acceptable. Thank you so much. Wow, Lori. Lori, is it correct? Yes. Yes, thank you so much for, you must have done your homework or history. Uh, I love what I do, and I find myself in the school of life. Uh, I've been a waiter. I've been a cab driver. Uh, I've been a busboy at a, a dinner theater. I've been a stage and theater actor. I've been a soap opera actor. But one of the things that I know for sure uh, through all that I've done is that to be an observer of life and humanity is very, very important. I drove a school bus in Inglewood, New Jersey, uh, down to Hoboken and back up and had some really incredible experiences with the young people that I would drive home, some more animated than others, uh, others more, you know, uh, conservative. And uh, I, I loved having the opportunity to do that because I feel like young people are very unjaded and we see a lot of life uh, displayed through their actions, emotions and their eyes. And I would always pay close attention when they got off the school bus and what parent was picking them up and how that interaction was and how different it was from the time they got on the school bus. So I was a jolly school bus driver who encouraged them uh, to be themselves and to talk to me if they wished. And I always loved the last little Oriental kid who was just so very sweet, who was so exhausted after his day, I'd have to wake him up as the last stop to get him into his mother's arms. But we learned so much by uh, our experience in the world and that experience humbled me and made me a different human being, but I was paying attention. So all I can say is when we pay attention in life, no matter what we do to get where we're going, or no matter what we've chosen as our vocation or our lot in life, mm -hmm. if you are unpleased or displeased with it, and it's not something that you feel like will take you to the place that you want to be, uh, change it. So we as human beings, we do all these things. We go to college, our parents have paid or I've paid or you paid for yourself. In my case, that was my situation. And I got to stick with this because, you know, I did all these things to get here and it cost me time and money. Well, forget all that. What will make you happy? What will, if, you, if you're pleased and you, you're happy with what your vocation is, you never work a day in your life. So I say to, me, to, to you and to everyone who's watching that that's been most important for me in my life. Do I regret Anything that I've done that's lent and brought me to this place, no, I don't, because I was paying attention enough for it to affect my life and to be in service no matter what you do is the most important thing you could ever do. 
Very, very well said. Well, just last night, um, Sandra, my better half here, we were watching a, a season two of Better Call Saul, and it's where Kim's about to go over to uh, Schweikert and Coakley, and she's meeting, having kind of, uh, actually, no, she's in the office meeting with the partners and whatnot, the the shareholders, and they're asking, oh, okay, so wh- where did you get, where'd you grow up, and, and those, those kind of things, and wh- why did you leave, like, what made you want to pursue something different, and she says she wanted more, and that's, that's what she wanted, she wanted more, nothing wrong with what you've done, but you want more. You know, I get asked that question in regard to uh, my life. You know, uh, I say, hey, look, you know, I'm looking for a new house. And someone goes, oh, you know, um, I, I thought you were happy. Yeah. And I said, I can be happier. <laughs> yes, of course. That, that's right. And I mean, that could also come down to, you know, uh, you know, what, what person has paid for a, a scene, a movie, a, a series. Hey, that, I'm pretty happy, but I could also be happier, too. And why not? Exactly. Why not, you know, allow yourself, um, build your self-esteem and your love for yourself to know what you want. Number one, it's important to ask for what you want in life. Agreed. And many of us don't think we deserve that. And so when you ask for what you want, you could get it. Mm-hmm. And it could come very quickly through the universe, depending upon how clean your karma is. Mm-hmm. So why not ask for what you want? You only go around once. The, the What you ask for is terribly important. I ask to love what I do. I ask to be a thespian. I ask to be this... Uh, lifer and this warrior. So, you know, for me, every day is filled up when I'm in front of the camera. Uh, It feels wonderful. I'm embodied. Think of that. When you're completely embodied with what you do, and you don't feel any physical pain, maybe you had a backache when you came in, you don't feel any mental resistance, you're completely embodied, well, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Exactly. You're a good prime example of that as well, too. I mean, you know, going through Breaking Bad, getting into Better Call Saul, you know, you knew what your value was, and we we won't go into full details, but, you know, you you were bringing a a very strong element to those shows, and were able to, you know, uh, ask for more, and the worst case that that can happen to someone is negotiation, right? Oh, absolutely. My my biggest thing about going to Better Call Saul was, do I have any more to give? Is there something new in in, in Gus's story? Do I want to just play a character I've played before and and keep in quick step and quick time with what I had done before? And for me, it was a conversation with Vince all over again, you know, and then he started to talk about how Gus is a mystery, the less we know, the better. I went, okay, I got it. But what new elements can I cultivate? And so I started to think of that immediately before I even agreed to and said yes, because I didn't want to get stuck in a character that I'd done. And I didn't want to give give myself an opportunity just to phone it in. So I realized, wait, this is years before. There's a vulnerability. There might be a hotheadedness. There might be all of these things that Gus could be that I haven't played yet. And that's what drew me in and allowed me to say yes, to focus on what I had not unearthed about this character and to really bring something new to this character in the present moment. I always believe it's really important to be present every day, every moment. Certainly what I do, I have to be present uh, with my character and my co-characters when I'm in a scene. That's the most important thing you can cultivate in your life, being present, being right here, right now, and acting and reacting to what's going on around you right now today, every moment. Very, very well said. Thank you as well. Uh, Here's our last audio question for the evening. And I think we have three other questions uh, coming in through the chat here, and then we'll be wrapping up. This one is from Karina. And here is her question. 
Welcome, Giancarlo. We're very excited to have you here today. My name is Karina. I wanted to ask you about your experience on the Creep Show series. You did the episode Gray Matter, which was one of my favorite Stephen King short stories, as I am a huge Stephen King fan. I'm also a huge fan of anthology shows, especially horror. This was your first venture into horror, and you said you wanted to be scared for once since you scare so many people in real life and on TV. How scary was that monster, and what did you like most about the horror experience? Karina, really thank you for that uh, great question. Uh, thinking a lot about Stephen King as it pertains to not only this show, uh, but to a great writing that's translated into great filmmaking. And so I really, really enjoyed my time on Creep Show. And yes, I was frightened. Walking into the art direction on that was so you know terribly important and fantastic. Uh, and that monster, when I did finally see the monster, I was astounded. I made sure I did not catch a view of that monster before I had to see it. And uh, well, all I can say is, and I guess I can say it here, um, that I almost pissed in my pants. <laughs> um, very, very frightening. Some really wonderful. Um, we had a wonderful direction, of course, from um, the the person who created. I don't know if your fans know this, but uh, you know, uh, KNN uh, did it uh, out in Los Angeles, but created the Gus Fring face-off mask. And so very, very important artisans. Uh, he's going on to be a huge director. God, I'm blanking on his name right now. It's terrible of me. Uh, I think about so Greg Nicotero? John Nicotero. Greg, Greg Nicotero. Yes. Greg Nicotero, yeah. yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a phenomenal director now. I, I, you know, last time I had seen him was he did the mask for Gus's face off. And then years and years later, uh, he, and he, we've always had each other's phone number. He, he becomes a huge director. I saw him when his hair was here and now his hair is down. I know, butt. I know. <laughs> but a, a wonderful guy called me on my cell phone, would you? And I said, gosh, Greg, all I want to do is work with people I really like. Well, we have no money. Yeah, I know that. So will you come and play? I said, I'd love to. And so, um, you know, I, I really love doing that. I came across a photo the other day on my phone as well, where, you know, uh, I had great scene partners too, Adrian Barbeau, who did the original, um, of course, but where we had to light ourselves with, with uh, flashlights. And that's the creepiest thing ever. And I think I took the most creepiest selfie of myself and sent it to my children who were like, oh my God, they screamed through the phone as they texted me back. Uh, I was frightened. Uh, Greg created a room in that and we finally got to the apartment that was the most frightening, disgusting room you'd ever see. You walk and things crunch under your feet. There's glue on the floor with dead animals, dead dogs. It was real to me. So it was a very frightening experience and I had to hold uh, on to my cookies uh, as well. But um, I love Stephen King. Stephen King is was a great fan of both uh, Breaking Bad and Saul, but I knew he reached out to me after Breaking Bad through social media and was applauding my performance. So I worked with Stephen as a little aside on um, Maximum Overdrive, which yeah. is his very first and only directorial film that he's ever done. And so I have a very strong connection to Stephen. Uh, I was basically back then doing extra work and small parts on on uh, soap operas and I had the opportunity to be able to be directed by him in his first feature and only feature he ever directed. So I'm a huge fan of Steven as well and all of his work. Uh, and I just feel like he's a major, major artist because he is an actor, the descriptive territory that's mined from novels from a mind of Stephen King is the descriptive uh, territory that we allow characters to grow from. And, and I, I like that even sometimes more than dialogue. Mm 
mm-hmm. because that allows you to be filled up with an environment. And Stephen is certainly a master at creating that environment. So what a great question. Love Creep Show. Love the George Romero original. It was so great. Great to be able to work with uh, Greg Nicotero and uh, to recreate this anthology series, Creep Show. Fantastic. Greg is amazing. And what he's doing on Walking Dead right now is just incredible. So we've got three last questions here. We're going to bang these ones out real quick just so we, we can respect your time here as well. This is a super chat from Rocky Whalen. says, massive fan. Gus is hands down my favorite character in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Is it true that you would meditate before scenes to get in the zone? Is there anything else you would do before scenes? Well, uh, thank you so much. I eat very little, uh, drink a lot of water because of the high altitude in Albuquerque. And yes, Breathing practice really helped me a great deal. Got into a habit of coming in uh, before I even go to makeup or hair. I put my costume on. Uh, and after that's all done, there's usually a lag time because I'm so quick. I usually normally come in with my hair done. So I'd sit on the floor of my trailer and just start breathing uh, and listening to my breath and forgetting everything else. Uh, and so that was a constant practice and still has followed me since to be able to ground myself and be able to not be so quick to answer. See, when we're quick to answer, we're human beings, and I must allow that we want to have the answer. And what I know now is that it's okay if we don't have the answer. And it's okay if we're pensive for a moment, because that allows whoever's asking the question, it allows it to land. And it allows you time to be able to find out what your truthful answer is, not just your answer by rote. So, yes, meditation for me is key in my life. It helps me with my work and also helps me create space with which to act from. Thanks for your great question. I'm going to use those words of advice because that's where I get myself into trouble all the time with, with the wife. You know, she, she would be saying something and then I'd go to say something and she'd be like, you were just waiting the whole time. You're just waiting the whole time to answer. You weren't even listening to what I was saying. So space can be great. So, Sandra, I'll take some of that advice. Uh, here's a question from quest for quality. The face off ending was arguably the greatest moment in gore film history. Do you know if there's a wax museum statue of this? If not, where can I buy a life size cutout? He needs some selfies. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. Such a great thing that you say. A great story surrounding that. Uh, there are two that exist. Uh, and I'm so honored and grateful that, uh, Greg Nicotero, I have great stories about going there to get it done with one of my oldest daughters and Vince Gilligan were kind enough to gift me one. So Vince has one. Greg has the other. Aaron Paul has a knockoff. Oh, does he? <laughs> Which he put on social media, but it's not the real deal. Uh, so I don't know where you can get one. I certainly have photos of me with one on social media. Uh, great story. Took it home to my family. My eldest daughter was a big fan of Breaking Bad. Start Came in late. Came out to see episode 601 and 602, and I had to lean over to her. She's 24 now. She was much younger then. She was 14. And I said, just remember something. That's, you know, that's Gustavo Fring. That's not your father. This is your father. And so, you know, 601 went down, and she turned to me, and she went, great kill, Papa. So uh, I gifted her the bust and took it home to the East Coast, put it in her room. I have four daughters. The youngest one was about 10 years old. So she walked into her sister's room and she, she went, oh, my God, that's Papa. No. <laughs> so she freaked out. So, you know, uh, face off Gustavo went in the basement, and got wrapped up and was eventually returned to me because it scared the wits out of our youngest child. So uh, I'm honored to have it, though. It's a great piece of art. And uh, who knows, maybe uh, one day they'll be marketing them. 
You never know. That'd be nice. Does I get some selfies? Here is the last question, actually, uh, from Vivid Kiwis. And Vivid Kiwi has some great Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad theories on his YouTube channel. Opinions on whether or not Gus thinks that fear and violence is a good motivator. His opinion seems to change between Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad when talking to Mike. Wow, what a great question. Thank you for asking it. Uh, well, you know, I believe that Gus really is the antithesis of wanting people to be afraid. He wants people to do what he asks them to do without having the fear factor come in. But certainly as we all in the Breaking Bad and, and Better Call Saul universe are deferential to Vince Gilligan, uh, he's a human being, as is Gus. So I think Gus really in, 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 the, in the overall uh, scheme of things abhors violence, but he has a mission to get what he wants to get done. And he'll use any means possible to do that. But I think his feelings underneath, which I think you'll start to see mm -hmm. in Better Call Saul in the sixth season, no spoilers, is you'll really get a chance to see what he really feels about violence underneath it all. He's not uh, at all afraid to use it. He's used it before. Uh, but I think more than anything, his galvanizing personality and his cool nature with which he uh, conducts himself when he needs to uh, creates pause in people. Because, look, after all, when someone is so demonstrative about, about how they feel and they never raise their voice, you got to wonder. Normally, when people are really know what they want and feel and something ticks their button, they get louder, they get angrier. No, that doesn't happen for Gus. So you got to wonder, is the guy really, is he really real? Is he a psychopath? What is it that allows him to go beyond uh, and overcome what natural human beings would go to when they're angry or otherwise. Gus is the smartest guy in the room, figuring out a puzzle that no one else can figure out, knowing that in the end, he the eventuality is he's going to win because the truth is he really does respect people. He respects people at Los Pueblos Hermanos. He respects people at the laundry. He, he loved and respected Gail. And just by the fact that he would bring chemists in, pay them what they wanted, pay their education means that he respected and wanted to know scenes with Kale, uh, with uh, Gail in the uh, in the uh, chemistry lab. He's interested. It tells you about a human being when they're interested in all kinds of things, cooking, chemistry, furniture. He loves to find things in life. That tells you that this man has somehow evolved further than what you may imagine on paper or in your mind's eye. And so I would uh, venture to say he cares so much about human beings' growth and where they get to. He'll aid and abet them if they will do the same for him in, uh, in getting to his goals and achieving what he wants to achieve. Very, very well said. And thank you. This hour has gone by so fast. Everyone in the chat is saying the same thing. We're so blessed to have you here this evening. Uh, before we wrap up, just a couple of things we want to mention as well, too. We want, don't want to forget this bobblehead contest we have with Gus Fring figure. We're going to get you some of these as well, Giancarlo. So after this video done is done this evening, just comment down below and down in the comments down below, comment one of your favorite Gus Fring scenes and why, and we'll pick one of, well, actually, we're going to pick four comments next week and we'll mention them on the show next Friday. Uh, so, so Giancarlo, thank you so much for your time. And a few other people here too, we're just going to say thank you to them. I had to make some notes, uh, because I will forget there's, uh, there's so many awesome people that make these things happen. So a big thank you to Warren and Rachel at bobbleheads.com, our show sponsors. I want to love uh, them. Yeah. Had such a good time with them at San Diego Comic-Con. Love you, Warren and Rachel. Thank you. 
Thank you as well for saying that. I also want to thank my beautiful Sandra Lee, our executive producer here. We could not do what we do here without her. So thank you, Sandra Lee, for doing what you do. Our channel members, our Patreon supporters, our channel moderators, our YouTube subscribers, our super chatters, our PayPal donators, and those that buy our merchandise at the Broadstash Boutique and buy the stuff like I'm wearing right now. And we look forward to seeing you next week as well too, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. We've got a special guest coming next week. We're going to save that as a surprise. And if you're looking for us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook at Inside the Gilliverse. And John Carlo, don't go away. I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air. Everyone have a safe and uh, a happy Easter to you all if you celebrate. And we'll look forward to seeing you here very, very soon. And until next time, cheers. Cheers. Thanks again for tuning in to Inside the Gilliverse with Eric Broadbent. Be sure to check back each week for more great discussions and interviews with cast and crew from Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. 